morning, I want to talk about uh, what people would say if they were talking about you. Um, if I told you uh, they're talking about you, immediately you'd want to know, well, what are they saying? Because it matters. Because uh, if they're talking, you know, you, you wonder what they're saying and it will determine whether you like them talking about you or not. Or maybe as a kid, uh, you come home, if you can picture yourself uh, as a young man or a young lady in fifth or sixth grade, and you come home and your mom or dad says, I received a phone call today from school. How does that make you feel? Some of you are uh, in your 70s and you're having flashbacks right now. You know, you're going, oh, that awful feeling of uh, just that feeling of being busted, you know, just... Uh, they found out, they found out what I did. How did they find out? Like they always find out, uh, especially when you're in Tehachapi, it's awful. Uh, you know, stories beat you home and all that stuff. I hate it. Uh, um, but what are they saying? What are they saying? So sometimes it's just rumors and gossip, right? Uh, if someone says they're talking about you, you say, oh, so what are they saying? And you go, oh, that's just a lie. But the bad thing is, is this. When they're talking bad about you and you hear what they're saying and you go, and it's true. And it's true. It is, you know, it is bad. And they're talking about me and I I did it. Yeah, uh, I did it. Other times they might be talking well of you. They they might be speaking well of you and you, you go, oh, I kind of like that. I I like it that people are talking that that, that I'm great. And and yet you walk away and you go, but I'm really not all that great. They overstated it. Uh, this morning, we're looking at a passage, if you want to turn there, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to look at a passage this morning where uh, they were talking about this church from Thessalonica, this group of people. Um, and it was good, and it was also true. It was also true. And this morning, I, I want to share with you what it is they were saying, and uh, hopefully that will be encouraging to you especially as we celebrate uh, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is what we're celebrating today. Um, I know that some of you have a trouble with the resurrection. And you say, well, you know, I've done the math on this one. Uh, I've figured it out and it can't happen. When you're dead, you're dead. And especially, you know, there's those cases where someone was dead and the doctor said they were dead and everyone else said they were dead. And then a few minutes later, they wake up. So, you know, but they, it's just a few minutes later and they really weren't dead. And I, I understand about being dead and not being dead. OK, the resurrection, it just can't happen. And I want to encourage you with this. When you say it can't happen, you're saying that nothing can happen that you don't understand. Um, that's silly. That's silly. I don't want to belittle anyone here this morning, but you, you believe in all kinds of things that you don't understand. Um, and, and I do as well. But what God is communicating with us here this morning is that he sent his son, Jesus. He died on a cross. He was a, he was a man who was born of the virgin. And as he lived his life, he lived a perfect life. And guess what? At the end of his life, he died. Not because of soldiers or uh, governments or anything else, but he gave up his life that he might die. And then he rose again. 
he rose again. And this is the story, the message that we follow, the man, Jesus Christ, that we follow. As we look at this passage, um, I want to get you a word. What happens when you come to Jesus is one word. It's you change. You change. You change in ways that you can't imagine. And we're going to look at three of them this morning. And they really kind of deal with your past, the things you did and you, you once did, and really what involves in your present, your today, and what you look forward to in the future. Okay? There are three things this morning. And so this is what happened to this group of people. In verse 8 of chapter 1 of the book of 1 Thessalonians, it says this. Then this is the Apostle Paul was inspired by God to write to this group of people. And this is what he wrote. This is part of what he wrote. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So they were talking about these people. And where were they talking about them? It wasn't just in the city, right? It's also in the neighboring cities, the, the, the outermost parts of that region. And it wasn't just there. He says it was everywhere. And that's how it happens, right? If God changes somebody through Jesus Christ, they're changed. It starts going out. It happens like this. If you grew up in Tehachapi here and you, you lived a life and you're just doing your own thing, you're, you're living how you wanted to live, and then Jesus enters your life and changes it, guess what happens? You're out in town again and you bump into some of your old buddies, <laughs> And they say, hey, what's going on? And you say, oh, great stuff, amazing stuff. Jesus has changed my life. And they go, changed? Why? And you say, because those things that we used to do, those sins that we used to commit, uh, Jesus changed me. He, he's made me different. And he goes, wow. And you know what happens? So that person sees you and says, boy, they've changed. They, you know, something's going on. I don't know what it is. And they'll see some other friends. They'll start talking. Hey, did, you know, I saw him and he said, you know, he's different. He's changing. He has. He looks different. He, he, he's sounded different. He sound, you know, things are going on in his life. It happens at family gatherings as well. Did you know that? So Christ enters someone's life and they get together to celebrate Easter and get together for Christmas and these other times. And, and the family gathering is again. And they say, you know what? I see something going on different in their life. What is it? It's Jesus. It's a change. A change that God by His design has brought about. Well, there are three ways that they were changed. And it, it's interesting um, this is the kind of change we want. This is the kind of change we want. This is the kind of change that everybody sees. It's not a performance. I think so often when uh, we try to figure out what God has for us, we're saying, so what do I got to do? What do I got to do? How am I supposed to perform? What am I supposed to look like? What events am I supposed to go to? Uh, what am I supposed to do so I can look like 
God's really changed me. That's not what happened here. Jesus changed them. Jesus did a work in their heart and life. And it was evident to all. In fact, it, it went out from there. Well, what was it? Let's talk about the first one. It's in the end of verse... I'm sorry. It's in, I was going to say 8, verse 9. It says, For they themselves report concerning us what kind of reception we had among you. And this is what happened. When they received the message that Paul had brought, what happened? How you turned to God from idols. How you turned to God from idols. Well, what happened there? Well, they had idols. They were probably made up. They were probably various kinds. They were probably not just one. Uh, There's a plural there. There were many different idols. And what happened was, as they understood who Jesus was, they said, oh, I'm done with these idols. I set them aside. I put them away. And I have turned to God. I turned away from the idols. I turned to God. And you say, well, what does that have to do with us today? We don't have idols. We don't have idols. Are you sure? Are you sure? We have many idols. Probably many more. In fact, we're inventing them all the time. What is an idol? Well, it's attention. It's attention. It's anything we place our attention on. And we say, this is what's most important to me. This is what life is worth living. It can be all kinds of things. It can be stuff. And you say, well, what kind of stuff? Just stuff. Just stuff. It can be stuff, you know. Insert your favorite stuff, you know, right? It can be it can be careers and people and and success. You know, brought up that medal there. You know, we could be living for medals and you say, well, you know, that was a kid's medal. There's adult medals too, right? Accomplishments, things that we live for, uh, degrees that we have earned, uh, accolades of some sort. Get our name in the Tehachapi News, you know. It's exciting. I like seeing my name, you know. I save it. I put it in my photo album, right? Send it to my my mom and dad so they're proud of me. You think about that, and you, we live for all kinds of different things. And what will happen if Jesus changes? He'll take your stuff, he'll set it aside, and he'll make himself the one that you worship. I want you to get this. He takes, he took all their idols, all their past. How did they, how did they get to the place of following after these idols? They grew up in it. You know what? Chances are their parents showed them those idols and their parents worshiped those idols and their grandparents and their, you know, on back that they've been passed down. This is the way we live. Sometimes we're like that, right? This is our favorite family sin. I come from a long line of sinners like this. And as we look back at it, I know this is hard. So I'm 40, whatever I am. Doesn't really matter, but um, and, and, I, and I look at these young people we have here—the little kids—and they're so excited, and I like them, and the middle schoolers, and 
I like even middle school girls, you know, they, they, even they jabber and they talk and they're excited. And, um, and high schoolers are college students and our young married people. And, you know, I, I think about the days when I was like them and I go, man, it's so exciting. You're looking out and you, you kind of look to your parents and your grandparents and you kind of go, you know, they couldn't get it together. I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it right. I'm, you know, they, my, my dad's got all these issues, but I'm going to do it right. I'm going to do it right. You know what? It's no good to be in your 40s. Because you have history of things that you didn't do right. And it's even worse probably to be in your 50s because you have 10 more years of things you didn't do right. And 60s and I don't even know about like 70s, you know. The idea of maybe losing some memory doesn't sound like a bad idea, Right? <laughs> Why? Because the, the, the problem with the sins of our past, they're real. They're real. As we look in the past, we want to we say that day didn't happen, but we know that it did. And it wasn't just one day either, right? It wasn't an isolated event. It was all kinds of things. And it was my heart. It was my sin. It was the idols that I chose. So how do I get out of this? Jesus. Jesus does a work. He takes your heart away from the idols you once served and he brings them to himself. It's change. It's different. He's in the process of changing you. That first thing right there, he deals with our past. He allows us freedom from the idols of the past. The second thing it tells us in this passage Turn to God from idols. It says this, to serve the living and true God. One of the most difficult things about coming to know Christ is our whole life is built around some kind of idolatry. We're doing it. We're, we're living life. We're spending days. We have people that we're living with. And if God sets all of that aside, what do I do now? What do I spend my day on? What gets me up in the morning? You, you know, it's interesting about some of the things that we idolize. They're not bad things in and of themselves. They're just not worthy of our lives. They're not worthy of our worship and our focus. They're, they're fine to do every once in a while, but not the idea of building our life around. And so you come to know Christ and you say, so what do I do now? How do I spend this day? What do I do with this present? Well, if you look at it, he says, you know, I turn from idols to God. But now how do I spend my day? What has he given me to do? To serve him, to serve him. And not just to serve him, but it makes a point that you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. What's wrong with idols? What's wrong with idols? Think about that right now. I want you to all get an answer. Some of the kids have already figured it out, but some of you older folks are a little slower. What's wrong with idols? They're false. They're dead. They are not God. They are not God. And what's the problem? So picture me. Uh, you know, I, I looked at those pictures that on that video right there. Weren't those pictures just awesome? I, I, that would have taken me so long to do that good of a job right there. Not much of an artist, okay? But what if I was going to fashion for myself here my own God? 
I was going to take a hunk of wood or a hunk of marble. I don't know how to work with that or some hunk of something. And I was going to make creatively. I was going to make it. And then I was going to step back from it and go, that's good. And then I was going to worship and about it. What's the problem with that? The problem with that is that I'm worshiping it as God, but it's not God. In fact, it can't do anything at all. There's no sense of this being a a good relationship. It will not give to me that which I need. It's not worthy of my life. Well, he makes a point here to say, so we've turned away from these idols to God. And now we live our life to serve what? The living and true God. Why should we serve him? Because he's God, the real one. He's alive. He's not someone that is dead. He is not someone that's false and made up. He's worthy of our service. He's worthy of today. He's worthy of today. That's the change that Jesus brings in us. That he makes us, he gives us a today, something that's worth today. Well, he gives us one more thing, but the change has happened Now you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. Verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. You say, well, what does that mean? It means that Jesus is coming back. He's bringing this life to conclusion in him bringing his own to himself. Now, now let me ask you a question. How many of you... Um, are planning on dying. Some of you won't answer, okay? I hate to be the ones to one to break it to you, okay? This life will be concluded by one of two ways, us dying or Jesus coming and bringing this to conclusion. And some of you go, "Oh man, Kevin, it's it's Easter. I'm with family. I got ham in the oven. Why are you talking about death?" Sorry. We will move on, but not for a moment, okay? The future is uncertain, sort of. It's not uncertain. It will come to conclusion. Jesus has promised that he is coming back. He's promised that. And that either by our own death or him coming and bringing this to conclusion, that's where this is ending up. But what has changed? What has changed? I'll tell you what's changed is our attitude about it. Is the attitude of the church at Thessalonica as Jesus entered their life. They didn't look upon the time where Christ would return and go, Oh no, I don't want him to return because I got things to do. I got a list of things that, uh, you know, what, what if he comes today and my house is a mess or, you know, I have all these goals and ambitions and, and he says, no. We look forward to it. It's interesting how knowing Jesus, knowing Jesus, removes the fear of the future and replaces it with a, this great expectation hope for the future. This excited, like, I can't believe it's almost here. There's a dear man... Um, who uh, I'm an admirer of, a friend of, 
He's in, I think, his late 50s. He's a pastor. He, he spoke here maybe 15 years ago at a men's retreat. His name's Steve Fernandez. I received an email this week. It was a mass email to those who know him that said uh, he's been diagnosed with brain cancer and that he has somewhere between two days to two weeks to live. And my wife and I were talking about that, and it made me smile. Not because I'm excited that he has brain cancer, not, not because the, the, the whole deal of death, but what got me excited is he knows the Lord. And not just knows the Lord, he knows the scriptures well. He's taught about heaven. He's, he's been excited. He's been waiting for the Savior. And now he's like, I'm going to be there. And it's not going to be long. You see, that's the change that Jesus brings in us. Is that we don't fear the future. That we excitedly hope and look for the return of Christ. And for us to be with him. This chapter ends up by saying this, and and to wait for the son uh, for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, how do we get this change? Where does it come from? It comes from the resurrected Savior, the resurrected Savior. I want to point out a word in there. If you thought death was bad, uh, did you notice it said from the wrath that is to come, the wrath that is to come. Wrath is anger poured out. It's displayed, anger displayed. Now, most of us, we struggle with this whole idea of God being angry and his wrath really being poured out. And we go, I don't know if that I really buy into that God of love, how that would ever work. Let me explain something to you. So most of us, when we think of anger, we think of our parents, okay? Uh, Or we think of ourselves. And self-control is not always there with ourselves and our parents. So if you ask a child, how do you know when your mom or dad is mad? And they'll, they'll have all these telltale signs, you know, because it's never hidden, right? Um, it just comes out. You say, oh, I know when my dad's mad because his ears get red and smoke starts billowing out or his eyebrows. And, and mom, that's a totally different deal. All she has to do is give me the look and then I know she's mad. Okay. And then the others would say, well, it's his tone of voice. It's his shout. You know, I know anger comes out. I know that happens. And so we think back to the kitchen. We think back to the kitchen and we think, you know, there were things that we're told not to touch, like the stove. You're not supposed to touch the stove. And so, young kids, we, we all did this. I don't know if there's a class that we learn in the womb on this or anything. I don't know. But or maybe we talk about it amongst ourselves, amongst our peers when we're playing. But they tell us, no, you can't touch the stove. And so when your mom's there or something, you kind of meander up to the stove. You take a look at mom. You take a look at the stove. And you say, let's check this out, see how this works. Uh, uh, uh. Does she really mean it? And then we touch the stove. We touch those knobs. Those knobs are golden. I mean, those things do everything. We touch the knob and then action comes out of that, right? We've got mom's attention. She does something and we say, oh, she means it. She means it. Sometimes we think about God that way. And we go, okay, 
God told me, you know, that he's watching and that my life means something and I'm supposed to live a certain way. God, are you watching? I'm going to kind of meander over towards these things that you told me not to mess with. And then you kind of reach out your hand and you go, nothing happened. Huh, I can even twist these. You know, I can, and, and you start sinning and you go, Maybe God doesn't care. Maybe God doesn't care. He says that, you know, he's all angry about these things and it makes him, you know, he's told us that this, maybe he doesn't. Maybe he just doesn't care. I want to point out something. In verse 10, it says, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come, to come. Jesus, uh, the, the, the wrath of God, I want you to get this, this, is super important. The wrath of God is pent up right now. It's not because God is self-controlled, okay? But there's a day coming where his wrath will be poured out. It, it will be unleashed. And you say, well, how and on whom? It'll be on sinners. And it'll be right. It will not be just a blanket anger a blanket wrath, it will be specific. It will be specific. It will connect uh, God's anger with actual deeds of people. Sins that we have committed. And you say, well, but, but you know, he, I'm not as bad. I'm telling you, the wrath of God is coming. And it's connected to our sins. And it's appropriate. It's appropriate. Our disobedience brings about the wrath of God in the days to come. And you say, I thought you were talking bad when you were just talking about death, Kevin. Now you're talking about the wrath of God. I want to tell you why you should be smiling. Because of what it says. Look at it. it because of the risen Savior, what does it say? It talks about this change that comes about and to wait for the Son from heaven, verse 10, whom he raised from the dead, conquered sin and death, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Jesus is the only way to escape this anger. It's the only way to come into right relationship. And he's done it if we would just trust in him. We don't have to earn his favor. He says, just trust me. Take my gift of salvation. This morning, I want to share with you just briefly. I'll just read them to you. In John chapter 11, verse 25, it says, I'm the res- this is Jesus speaking. I'm the resurrection and the life. This is what he says. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, even though he dies, yet he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Never die. That's the victory that Christ won for us as we celebrate Easter. I want to give you one other uh, passage, and I shared it with the kids. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, it says this, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, um, you may not be celebrating 
uh, the resurrected Savior. You're kind of going, oh, this Easter thing. And, you know, I, I just, you know, I, I don't buy it. I, I just don't have. I want to tell you, I want to tell you, you can live victorious. I'm not talking about everything coming your way and, the, you know, the rainbows and unicorns just happen in your backyard and all that stuff. I'm talking about what I'm talking about is that your sins can be forgiven and then you can enjoy life today and ex- with excited expectation for the future. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. That's why. And you say, well, you know, how does that connect with meeting with family and uh, living life here? And, you know, I want to tell you, it makes all those things good. And you say, well, why? If you know everything's taken care of, you can enjoy life. You can enjoy the day here knowing that Jesus Christ is taking care of you in the most important way, your soul. Apart from which we really shouldn't enjoy anything because we know the future is bleak and worse than bleak, the wrath of God that is to come. I want to tell you this morning, I'm excited to share with you that Jesus Christ is the Savior of sinners. And he'd love to save you even today if you didn't know him, if you don't know him. I'd love to talk to you afterwards if you're interested. Please join with me in prayer. God, thank you uh, so much for this morning and the time we could share together. God, I ask that you would work in our lives. Remind us of how great it is. Help us to celebrate this day that Jesus has risen from the dead, that he is alive, that he is the victor, and that because he has won the victory, we too get the victory through him. God, thank you for this morning. We ask your blessing on our gathering here and our time the rest of the day. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.